share, subscribe, and rate it. Five stars. Clifford. James. Hello. Hello. How you doing, man? All right, all right. Just uh, trying to stay warm. We've got the big cold, first cold snap of the year hitting here. Oh, yeah, man. Is that uh, Winter came like a baseball bat to the face for me. It's like th- three weeks ago, it was lovely. It's like 70 degrees outside, and all of a sudden, it's like 38 or something, 40 right now. It's, it's just all of a sudden, and it's already snowed. It's already snowed here. So uh, I don't know when this, this episode is going to air, but man, the snow came as a surprise. We very often don't even get snow till December or February, I think, last year. It was nuts. Yeah, so it's what like about the 10th of November right now, so that's early in the season. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the the um, I went out to one of our locations, one of the, um, not the siding location and the footprint stuff that we've been pulling um, down the Clackamas River a little bit. There's already snow. I, I couldn't, I, I almost didn't get to where I wanted to go, um, but I had to cross a path, a pass there. And there, you know, luckily a couple of people had driven there before me because you know how I am about snow. I don't dig it at all. But yeah, it was beautiful, but snow everywhere. There's like a foot and a half of snow on both sides of the road and stuff. It's like, gosh darn it, we usually can access this place for a lot longer than November. I mean, last year we I found and cast footprints in November, which is why I was going there. But I don't think we're going to be able to do that this year. Is that Blueberry Spot or somewhere the other spot? Oh, it's a place we call Easter Island. Yeah, it's just one of our code names, but it's down the Clackamas a little ways, you know? So, um, yeah, it, it's a, a very productive spot. That, that's a place I keep ranting about with a number of track finds and a sighting all within um, a half mile of this location uh, where we've been working for about two years. So it's a very, very productive location. That's the key. You want a spot that's probably close to home, that is easy to get to, so you can go there as frequently as possible. True that. You and I are both very lucky to live in such a location where you can just, you know, drive 30, 40, 50 an hour or something like that and, and be in very suitable habitat. Yeah, for sure. While we're dealing with the oncoming of winter, our guest tonight is dealing with the oncoming of summer because he is down in the southern hemisphere. We got a Yowie hunter from Australia. We got Gary Lynn joining us tonight. Hello, Gary. Hi, Gary. Good evening, guys. How are you? Surviving plus a little bit, so can't complain. <laughs> For the listeners, we had uh, we had Dean Harrison on here. He's the head of Australian, founder of Australian Yari Research, and Gary here is one of his top right hand men in the men in the field down there. Yeah, mate, I'm I'm the one that carries his bags and um, helps him get up hills he can't climb by himself. <laughs> spoken like a true australian yeah um yeah because uh, you know we've been to australia we filmed of course finding bigfoot down there and one thing um yeah it's one of those stereotypes that kind of hold true is australians are kind of rough around the edge man they're gonna mess with you if they can and i think that was a good example gary of like uh belittling <laughs> your your the, the the organization's founder good job <laughs> well it's funny because it's true it, that's right, mate. If 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 you can't hang a bit of crap on the the the, the lead representative of the organisation, then you know what what can you do? Yeah, he's not even here. So let's 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 really <laughs> let loose on him. How, what brought you to the Australian AYR's Australian Yowie Research? That's their organisation. So what brought you to AYR? Was it an experience or a sighting or just interest? Uh, pretty much all three, mate. Is uh, you know I've always had like, like like many people, I've always had an interest in the subject, uh, be it paranormal or you know Yowie, uh, Bigfoot, ET, um, all that kind of creepy, spooky stuff. And um, it pretty much started off um, 
actually involving myself in the subject, like in, in, in a physical manner, uh, going to certain locations where we think they might be, like uh, myself and a friend of mine who we had no idea what we're doing, just a couple of no-hopers with torches walking around the bush at night. And the bar got set quite high one night when we went to a certain location where there's actually Yowie crossing painted on the road. So there's obviously been uh, sightings in this area. Uh, so we thought, what's what's a better place to go out to, uh, for, for our first time is to go out there. And uh, that night involved uh, lots of walking around, uh, not by us. Uh, we could hear something walking around the bush um, up on the ridge above us. And then uh, my good friend, he he decided to say um, that he could hear some possible vocalisations further, like say a, a, a kilometre down the road a bit further. So we'd jump back in the car. And this is the point where I learned that you never, ever turn the audio recording device off until the night is done and dusted. So at that particular time, I was using my phone as an audio recorder, so I wasn't actually using a recording device. So, you know, things have changed these days. So we jumped in the car. I pressed pause on the, on the audio recording app on the phone. We drive down the road. We get out. As soon as we get out uh, on the left-hand side, of this particular location uh, where this road goes through the forest is a big wall of lantana. This lantana is a very prickly, um, invasive vine slash bush. And uh, something behind that that uh, wall of lantana screamed at us. And it was the loudest thing I've ever heard. Like, I, I go to a fair few death metal concerts, and the sound reverberation, you, you, you could feel the sound waves vibrate through your chest cavity. It was that loud. And we're only talking maybe... 20 feet away at the most um and then we sort of hung around there for a bit um and we proceeded to listen to two other possible beings coming in from the north and the northwest uh, until we were in the middle of a triangle and we basically got freaked out uh jumped in the car and left and that was our first experience into actually doing you know i wouldn't call it research uh, i'd call it going out and uh kicking around the bush with no idea what we're doing uh, and then, yeah, we, we did that a few times. And one day I was on the way home on my uh, bike back, uh, back up because I, I live in the Gold Coast hinterland up in the mountains. And coming back up the mountain after a ride, and I see this black car coming down the mountain. And I happened to catch a number plate said Yowie. And I spun around and chased this black car back down the mountain. Was it a BMW? <laughs> it certainly was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too sure what he was thinking with this uh, this this guy on a um, high performance super sport bike come up behind and revving the bike and waving at him, thinking he thinking he's probably done something wrong. And he pulled over and uh, we proceeded to have a chat about that particular night. And uh, from there, you know, we sort of kicked along a bit, a few conversations here and there, and until I was finally able to get out on my first research night with Dean. And it has been an amazing roller coaster ever since. What year was that? Oh, 20, 2018. Oh, not actually that long ago. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I've been, you know, when, when we got screamed at was probably 2017. Um, a few other experiences and getting out doing things previous to that. So it's, uh, I'm kind of relieved in a way as you were describing some of your earlier experiences and how you got into this, um, that it seems that you guys go about it the same way. You just basically jump in and start doing it even though you don't know what you're doing and kind of just learn the ropes as you go. That's how most Americans, I think, do it. That's certainly how I did it. Um, we can all start out with like Bobo being an expert before you do it. But like, uh, um, but for the rest of us, we just kind of muddle around in the dark for a bit. And um, it sounds like you did the same thing. 
Exactly right, mate. Like it's, it's it's like I say to people all the time. You know, when when, you, when you're driving around, you get lost. The the best best way to find out where you are is to get lost. Sometimes it doesn't work out, you know, for the best, but for, for the most part, it does. I feel I almost feel bad about for the people who um, do it any other way because um, I I only know as much as I do, and I don't think I know a lot, mind you, but I only know as much as I do because I've made so many mistakes, and if those mistakes aren't yours. You know, I, I don't feel you learn as much from them. I think um, the, the the beginning times of when you're learning to fly, that's probably the most important time in any Bigfooter or Yowie hunter's uh, career of doing that is because you get to make all your own mistakes and learn from them. And if you're learning from a mentor, that's great. But um, that mentor can tell you, I'm going to tell you this because I made my mistakes and I don't want you to make the same mistakes. But I don't. I just don't think you get as much from that. You need to get out there and really blow it for yourself, you know? Mate, you are exactly right. And even for the most part, it's 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 also about the experience and learning on the job as such. Uh, even when you are out in the field doing this kind of research, you know, as, as you guys know, like you can go out 10 times in a row and only one time you'll actually get some kind of decent activity because uh, unfortunately they work on their timetable, not our timetable. But at the same time, uh, you, you, you find new areas, you find new access points, you find things you probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have found. Uh, or come across or learnt if you didn't make those mistakes in the first place. And they're your mistakes. And and that, that just makes it even more personal. And uh, it, it gives you a, a, a better foundation for later on, you know, because no one's going to make cliff mistakes. That's my job. And, and if people can <laughs> learn from me, and that's great if they don't have to go through the same rigmarole and they, they don't have to make the same mistakes and learn the hard way. But there is no other way to learn it. You got to go out there and make a fool of yourself, say things that are incorrect in public, and be you know that sort of stuff. But it, we all, we all do it. You know, if if you have a website, we do it. You know, we we make public mistakes. I think that's an important part of the growing process and frankly maturing process, um, which I think is an important aspect of this that a lot of people don't talk about. For sure, man. I mean, like as as you guys know, like there, there's there's no real set way written down a book. Um, method of, of how to do this research. Um, different areas require different aspects of research. Um, so you, you, kind of have, you kind of have to adapt to each particular research area you go to. Uh, you know, let's say the, the location we are at last night, we, we have a set protocols for that area. But if we go to another location an hour, an hour and a half north, um, we, have to, we have to attack that area in, in a different manner. So in doing so, um, not not only progressing your research, but you're also learning as you go about, you know, as you see, you know, th- th- those mistakes, what to and what not to do. Um, and again, yeah, tr- try to try to progress that research in as much of a positive manner as you can. Now, you just mentioned that uh, you have different protocols for different areas. Now, I won't get to, I wouldn't know your areas, of course, but some people listening might, so we're not going to poke you on that too hard and prod you. But um, what are some of the protocols and how do they differ from protocols in other areas that when you do field work? As you guys may know, like we, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure a fair few researchers over your side of the fence uh, do the same sort of thing. So, so at nighttime with your headlamps, um, a lot of the time you're, you're using red light on your headlamp. So around base camp, we, we, use, we use white light, uh, basically, basically because we, we want to use base camp as an attractant area. Once we leave base camp, it's either no light at all or it's red light, depending on your situa- on the situation, uh, depending on the, on the terrain and where, where exactly you're, you're venturing off to. Um, we have found that certain beings in certain areas are a bit more brazen than others. Um, at the location last night, we have to kind of be a little bit more 
stealth mode because uh, they, they seem to be very clued on that area. Uh, so we basically have to go around, be as quiet as we possibly can, make sure that we're not uh, flashing any light around, make sure the lights and the cameras are covered up because, uh, you know, the, 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 these thermal cameras do have standby lights. Um, and you actually can see that through the bush. Uh, certain locations further north uh, where the the areas are different, the, the these beings are more uh, are a lot more happy to to come out in the open as such. Not in the sense of the you know they they can step out and shake your hand, but they don't seem to be as stealthy as the beings that we were um that were, were, were in, uh, with the area the area that we're at last night. So that that kind of area, you 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 actually can sit and wait out in the open and make a bit more noise. So you, you, you kind of just adapt to these certain areas, um, certain methods. Um, again, other places as well where these beings might be a little bit more standoffish, um, not so much aggressive, but a little bit on edge as such. Uh, so, so again, the place where last night, we probably can walk down those trails and through the bush by ourselves. Uh, but locations further north, uh, we sort of have to make sure that we, we go off in pairs uh, for, for a safety aspect. From the Yowie, that's the safety you're talking about? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, look, they, they don't seem to be particularly aggressive unless you sort of get closer to the kids or closer to the females. Uh, like a lot of people know the, the encounter that Dean had many years ago, the place called Kilkeven, where Dean got a bit too close to one's missus and uh, he paid the price for it. Luckily, he's here today for it. Uh, but yeah, when they get a little bit too close to the females, a little bit too close to the kids, th- th- then they tend to get a little bit more protective. Not all the time. Um, I think it's a seasonal thing. Maybe if, if, if there is a birthing, a possible birthing in, in, the, in the area, um, we'll start hearing reports of um, juvenile sightings, that kind of thing. And also more rock throwing uh, tends to happen as well. Prior to that night where you guys got the footage, I'm sure a lot of a lot of our listeners have probably seen that footage. I, I think it's the best thermal footage ever gotten. Had had you seen one before that? I've had many experiences. Uh, I've heard them very close to me. Again, I've been screamed at. I've heard whistles, growls, pops, walking, all that, all that usual kind of stuff very close to me, around me, uh, behind me. And previous to that particular night, uh, we were actually so down down below that ridge line is a dam, and we decided one not to take the kayaks and kayak to the very far end of this dam uh, where we think their their sort of home territory home territory might be. Uh, we did so, and that night involved seeing ice shine, hearing something move off, uh, footprints found. And then once we came back to the kayaks, oh, sorry, back across the end of the dam and loaded the kayaks back into my van, when I was loading my kayak in, into the van, I actually heard something move across the road because well, with, with, with a lot of these locations, these roads, these roads are going through dense forests. It's, it's, it's not a real open area. So again, yeah, when I was loading my kayak in the van, across the road, um, I, could, I heard something move. I didn't worry too much about it. And then Dean went up and loaded his kayak, and he heard a bit of a grumble, growl kind of noise. So that sparked off a bit of a, a bit of an investigation into the area. So we came back at a later date, um, more so focusing on the lower side, uh, you know, in, in between the road and and, and the dam. Uh, so the, f- the first night that we came back and got decent decent interaction, uh, myself, Shannon Guthrie, and Dean, we were at a little base camp. Dean went up the track to 
just basically sit up there in the dark and you know sit quietly and just have a listen and see, see what comes about. Myself and Shannon stayed at base camp, and after about half an hour or so, Dean comes out of the radio and says, "I, I can hear something pushing through the bush." Excuse me, uh, pushing through the bush down below me. Uh, he, he he said it was bipedal, uh, quite, quite quite clearly bipedal from, from what he could hear. So I radioed through to Dean and said, "Okay, well, would, would you like would you like some backup?" And he said, "No, no, I'm fine. Just 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 sit tight." Okay, no worries. So he's still coming out of the radio saying, you know, um, reporting what he can hear. He can't see any see any at this particular time, just just all audio. And then next thing you know, this uh, if you can if if you picture the sound of when someone dives a stunt kite and a mechanical buzz, myself and Shannon heard that. We look up through the tree canopy, and this big blacked out V uh, flies directly over the top of us. No idea what it was. Just a, like if, if if you got two two F trucks and pointed them nose to nose in a V shape, that's basically the size of it. No lights, nothing like that. Just this me- mechanical humming kind of noise. It flew over top of us, and then Dean straight off that Dean hears this this being crashing through the um, through, through the valley below him even more. Okay, so that 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 situation right there has us you know obviously a lot more excited. We came back the next not the next night but a, an, another night after that. And I was up on the main road while Dean and the other guys were down lower. And I was focusing more on that area directly across the road where I heard that movement that night. And next thing I hear, like a, it was like basically a, a bulldozer coming down down the hill there. So I pull the thermal camera up. I see this massive heat signature coming down the hill. I can't tell what it is. And on top of that, this is my first time using this particular thermal camera, so I'm not quite up to date on the buttons and um, the focusing and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm still working it out. And as this massive heat blob comes down the hill closer towards me, it then splits into two. And then I realise what I'm actually looking at. I'm looking at what I what I what I what I believe is two of the two two yowies. One splits off to the left. One splits off to the right. The one on the left sits down. It. It didn't. It was facing my direction, but it didn't appear to be looking at me as such. I don't think it knew I was there. The other one off to the right had its hand on the embankment, and it was with its right hand, it was ripping at roots and that kind of thing from the ground and throwing them behind it. The clarity of of this footage wasn't the best. Again, it is my first time using using this camera. I'm talking maybe a hundred feet away, uh, so again, it wasn't that wasn't that close to really get good proper detail anyway. Uh, that 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 uh, that particular sighting lasts for about 15 minutes until a noise was made, and then they must have realised I was standing down there, and they took off. Uh, we we did get some video and still footage from it. It's not it's not the best. It's it's nothing like the the thermals that everyone knows about. But that right there was my I guess introduction to a proper physical sighting. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. When I watched the recreations, I wasn't sure like how close, like like how uh, accurate the estimations were that Dean was giving. Did you guys? Did you ever get back in there like really measure it full, like you know, get real detailed measurements? As in the distance from the camera location to them? Yeah, and like because I remember he was saying like you know about eight feet, nine feet, whatever. Some 
Oh, the height. Yes, yes. So um, the the height was actually about nine to nine and a half foot. Distance from 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 the camera to where they were standing was roughly about. 50, 55 feet through the thick foliage and that kind of thing. And again, yeah, they, those beings are nine, nine and a half foot tall. And I found some track impressions which measured about 18, 19 inches. Uh, unfortunately, nothing castable because the the terrain back there is just not a castable environment. It's all leaf litter and grass and that kind of thing. But you can still quite clearly see these, these foot impressions an inch, two inches into the ground. And yeah, they're about 18, 19 inch foot impressions. That's big. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing night. I mean, like, like, I mean, the 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 whole thing, like, with, with the footage, it's actually about twelve minutes long. Even though Buck only captured, you know, I think it's uh, sixteen seconds. I think it is of them stepping out and picking up or putting down or, or um, whatever they may be doing. But the the whole thing's about uh, about twelve minutes. And at at the first part of it, he was actually watching something off to the left where he could see uh, through the camera see eye shine and see a hand around the stump so something was behind the stump and actually watching him and then it was about 44 minutes to an hour later uh to the right where these these other two beings stepped out uh and we, we, we we're talking about i think the whole thing started about 9 30 at night it continued on with the thermal captures till about 11 30 uh back and forth back and forth and after that, I think it's probably about two thirty where things actually started to die down. But when I say die down, I don't mean stop. Like they, they stayed around camp the whole night. You, uh, myself and Buck sat up while Dean and Shannon went to bed, uh, jumped in the hammocks and um, went to sleep. And my, yeah, myself and Buck sat up in the chairs because you know we're, we're pumped, we're, we're excited, we're pumped, just talking, talking about, about the situation. And the whole time we're sitting there, you could hear them doing laps around our camp. Couldn't see them like they, they, they were too far away and behind too thick of foliage to be able to see anything, but you could hear the heavy bipedal footsteps doing laps around camp. Uh, we call them shotguns in the night, so when, 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 they, when they snap branches, they kind of thing, it sounds like a shotgun going off. So we could hear plenty of shotguns going off around, around camp uh, all night, pretty much. Uh, and then, yeah, as, as you may, most likely saw in the video, we get up the next morning, and uh, there's all these, these sticks jammed in the ground, um, where Buck was standing when he captured the thermal. Uh, and the thing is, like, with, with, with those sticks in the ground, earlier that night when Buck was walking up and down the track and I'd, I'd go up to him and we, we'd, we'd be both up there and we'd you know, change locations, etc. cetera, uh, Buck actually went further than, than where he where he filmed those, those those two beings. And I came out of the radio and said, you know, would you like a chair? So I grabbed a camping chair and I walked up there. It's, it's probably about uh, 100 120 meters from camp so i've grabbed a chair and walked up and i walked straight through where those sticks were at roughly one o'clock in the morning and they, those sticks weren't there next you know uh 5 30 in the morning they, those sticks have been placed uh but i mean the the the, the whole situation which is it was just so exciting basically it's as simple as that uh i mean like when when even, even to the point when when these beings were done and they moved off like buck was in his position, uh, the other the other three of us are back at camp. Buck's coming over the radio, saying, uh, "Give his giving his updates on what's going on." And I said to Buck at one stage, "Would you like me to come up to your location and say, you know, I've got you back?" Because even though he, he had these two possible three uh, beings on one side of the track, he could hear some strange noises on the opposite side of the track. 
so I said, right, I will, I'll, um, I'll come up there and um, you know, have, have you back if need be. And as soon as I left the firelight from camp, Buck comes over the, over the radio and goes, stop, 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 stop. I'm like, what, what? He said, as soon as I left the firelight from camp, he, he said, these two beings, they turned their heads, they looked at me, they looked at him, they looked at me. And when, when I left camp, I, I left camp with, 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 with no lights, nothing. I just walked into the darkness with no light. And as soon as I left the firelight, they knew exactly where I was. They looked at me, looked at him back and forth, and then that's when they moved off without, without a sound. The, the night you got the footage, were you also playing classical music, as you mentioned earlier? What, what, were, the, what were you guys doing around camp that, that perhaps drew them in to take a look at you? Yeah, so yeah, like we, we, well, I should say Dean plays classical music. I'm, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of classical music, but hey. <laughs> um, so yeah, Dean, Dean, Dean plays classical music. Loud, long hair, loud music, man. That was, that was rock and roll of the day. <laughs> well, I, I think, I mean, yeah, even if we come back to that, I mean, if it was up to me, if, if it was up to me and, and I play death metal out there, I don't think we get many positive reactions. I think the the energy and vibration of the of the death metal wouldn't, wouldn't really go over too well. But so yeah, so um, classical music, um, even the 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 soundtrack from Top Gun, um, things like that, purely just to get an attractant. I got a connection to that. Yeah, yeah, that, you just brought up a really important important thing here, Gary. I'm sorry to interrupt and everything. Um, as far as Top Gun, is it the original Top Gun or the sequel? No, the original. The original. Okay, so it, it, it's a direct connection to Bobo then is what you're saying. Like the Yowies are attracted to Bobo. Because, you know, Bobo was involved with the Kenny Loggins song, um, Playing With The Boys. He was actually in the video. Right, so he, he, was, he was a little bit footloose then, eh? Something like that. More like <laughs> belly bump and volleyball sort of stuff. But yeah, dolphin shorts. Yeah, the real bobs. Sexy man. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, you know, it's a shame he's on radio because he, he really does have the physique and uh, dolphin shorts of a, you know, sex symbol like that. <laughs> sorry, sorry to interrupt with that. But. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but you brought up an important point. Classical music and Top Gun soundtrack is what we got. Yeah, exactly right. I, I, I even had a video there somewhere on my phone where I'm sitting halfway between camp and Buck in the darkness. And... Next thing you know, Dean starts playing Danger Zone from that stand- from that soundtrack. <laughs> I was like, yeah, great, yeah, nice, mate, nice. Uh, but yeah, basically, you know, do that kind of thing again. Keep the 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 white light to camp um, to create an attractant. Uh, we even uh, get the get the camping barbecue out, start cooking up some onions, some steaks, or sausages, just to you know get get that smell out like the average camper does. Um, again, as an attractant to to try hopefully bring something in. Uh, and I think, but with, with this particular area, though, I think we've sort of come to the point and the realization that it's not the it's 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 not the music or the food that much that brings them in. Like, I mean, it's, it's just a very highly highly active area. I mean, like this this particular location, like up above and below, like when you enter a certain location, um, you 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 you'll hear a whistle in the valley below you as soon as you enter the location, and then a tree knock on the ridge above you. So they're, they're clearly watching what's going on with, with this particular area. Uh, we found foot impressions, found the big X markers. Uh, we, we've heard old old men mumbling in the bush, uh, which, you know, as, as you guys know, like it's, it's, you can hear someone talking in a deep tone, but they're far enough away you can't understand what they're saying. So we've got that kind of thing. We've also got the scat that we found this, uh, in, in, in the creek directly below the thermal location. And this this uh, this scat we had it sent to Sydney for testing, and with the worm and bacteria count, you know they they obviously obviously tell the different levels of what you know, what kind of animal 
the scats come from, uh, depending on that, that on that, that those levels of the, the worm and bacteria. And as you may know, the if, if it comes back at the lowest levels, it's human slash primate. And these levels came back at that human slash primate. But when the the uh, university in Sydney went to cross reference cross reference the findings with human DNA as such, they could not match up this scat with any known human DNA. So basically, it come back as unknown. Uh, which obviously, you know, it doesn't give us answers, but it also gives us a bit of a bit of a positive up as well, being that they have that they can't identify it on any of the tables that they have. Uh, so yeah, I think this whole area is very active, regardless of music, re- re- regardless of food smells and that kind of thing as well. We we still do it, um, you know, to to try and keep that that predictability um, as such as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the guys, the guys were out on uh, Thursday night just gone and they got another two thermal captures from that particular area. Unfortunately, they're not the same quality or any groundbreaking thermals like what Buck got that you know, that night almost 18 months ago. Um, but in one, in one particular photo, you, you can clearly see there's a head with, with eyes and a nose. And then the other one, you can clearly see a humanoid type figure standing there. So think things are picking up. You know, it's just progress. You, you know, you just got to keep going out, doing what we do, because um, unfortunately, you don't get results sitting on the couch. Yeah, and you know, you said something here like it's not groundbreaking footage like the other one is, but I'd like to point out that that's not the point. You know, I, I think that you you really are hitting the nail on the head here because you kind of circled back around on that a little bit. It, it's it, it's not one individual piece of footage that's going to do anything. It's gonna it's a collection of footage that's going to turn heads and and draw more interest. Um, I was having a conversation with Dr. Todd Disatel maybe uh, two years ago or something like that. Um, last time I had a face to face with him, and we were talking about the prospects of trying to prove the species, the Sasquatch in this case, um, without uh, collecting a type specimen, you know, without killing one, essentially. And he, Todd was saying, and he, you know, he's a skeptic. He's open to the subject, but he's a skeptic. He's got a PhD. He pretty much knows what he's talking about, right? For the, for the, for the most part, he, you know. Um, and he was saying that uh, if you could get um, a collection of footage and a collection of footprints and a small collection of DNA all from the same area, that would actually go quite a long ways in a lot of scientists' mind towards the um, supporting the species' existence, I suppose. Now, of course, what a lot of people um, don't realize is that once you draw the scientists in, they will kill one and it'll all be over, essentially. Or they're going to get somebody to kill one or something like that. A dead one will happen no matter what. No matter what avenue you approach this problem, a dead one is the final result. But at the same time, if if you're not, you know, I, I personally don't want to pull the trigger. I, I get it, you know. But um, I, that doesn't stop me from trying to get a collection of footprints and, and video and whatever else from one area. Um, now, Todd did say a collection of good video, which is different than thermal, but a thermal is a good start. And the fact that you've gotten more than one thing out of this one area is groundbreaking. That in itself is groundbreaking. Um, it'd be the same achievement as if you pulled a bunch of footprint casts out of one area, as Tom Shea did, or Bob Titmus did, or uh, Paul Freeman and Wes Summerlin and Bill Lowry and those guys did. And you are doing that groundbreaking work. So, um, 
I guess this is me um, gently encouraging you to not downplay what you're doing by saying that that was groundbreaking, but this is not. Because I think you have to look at your work and your collection as a whole. And um, and then you realize, holy smokes, we're really doing something here. And it sounds like you guys are. Thank you, Matt. I, I very much appreciate that. Very, very kind words. And yeah, I guess, yeah, when you put it that way, yeah, um, you're right. Uh, again, like, you know, going back to thermals, uh, plenty, plenty of footprints, scat. Uh, there's even possibly more more scat found last night. Um, yeah, it's um, again you just got to keep uh, keep plugging forward and do what we can do and do the best we can do. Really, eh? yeah. And it sounds like you're being very successful, and that in itself is groundbreaking. Um, I don't know. I mean, no one knows much about the the, the Yowie, of course, and probably even less. Then people know about Sasquatches, really, because there's so few people in Australia taking an interest versus uh, you know in the states here. Um, but up in the states, it's the data is showing that the the Sasquatches around here seem to stay in the same general area. Um, they don't, you know, move 600 miles one direction and you know that sort of thing. They kind of stay put in this you know 10 by or 15 by 15 mile area or something like that. I don't know if that's the case with Yowies. I assume it is. But and if that's the case, you're getting information, you're getting data from the same Yowies again and again and again. And that is going to push the ball further down the field. You're going to learn a lot more about not only the species, but your individual group of Yowies that you're dealing with, which will help you in turn in the future get even more information from it. It's a snowball effect. So you are doing everything right. I just couldn't be happier that there's a group of guys down there, group of people down there doing what you guys are doing. For sure, mate. I mean, look, you know, going back to the population, I do agree that they, they do stay in a particular kind of area. Uh, we, we have sort of worked out within the Gold Coast hinterland uh, that there is a general general sort of four to five different troops or uh, groups, um, tribes, uh, whichever, whichever way you want to classify it. Uh, but going by reports that come into us, you know, every single day, uh, the, I often say to people, whatever whatever number you have in your head about their population, it's not even close. You know, pretty much the whole east, eastern coast of Australia is just scattered with sightings everywhere, littered everywhere. And with, with, with those kind of reports, they, they, they come in from uh, obviously different areas, different descriptions, different sizes, um, as in like – quite big and buff built, uh, all too tall and skinny. Uh, we've also got the smaller beings as well, the, the Junjidi, uh, brown jacks. Uh, we, we don't get as many reports of them, uh, but they, they, they do spread right through East, Eastern Australia for the most part, uh, from tip of Queensland right down to Victoria. So, yeah, uh, the migratory paths, I don't think they're as big as you know what some people may think, um, exactly like what you said. Uh, but I think their population is a lot greater um, than what people would expect as well. Let's talk about the ginger deep for a minute, the brown jacks. Have you, have you had ex- much uh, experience with those things? Unfortunately not. I've spoken to many people, um, even in, in within my local community, who have had experiences and seen them. We don't get too many reports. I think the last report that we had come in was a couple of months ago from a bit further on, on the northern side of the Gold Coast. Uh, from a guy who was driving home at about 11, 11.30 at night and he was doing about 65 mile an hour and he's driving a WRX with a big body kit and that kind of thing. And as he's coming down the road, he, he he saw on the left-hand side of the road what he thought was a rabbit or a wallaby or something like that. So he slowed down and then when he got closer, this thing stood up and he could quite clearly see it was a small humanoid hairy figure. 
So he said he slowed down to about 10 to 20 kilometers an hour, so very, very slow. And this bean then picked its knees up and like an Olympic sprinter, sprinted across the road in front of him. Now, usually with, with, with these kind of encounters, this particular person it's 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 not his first experience, so he he was able to he was able to rationalize rationalize that particular sighting and encounter a lot easier than what most people think. So he this this particular person is part Fijian, and in Fiji they call them leka l e k a, and they he said they they live amongst the mangroves, and it's quite commonly known amongst the Fijians about the leka, and from from his description over the phone, he's very close to what we describe as the brown jack, the junjidi. Three to four foot tall, basically like basically a miniature yaoi. Uh, they, from reports, they tend to get around in groups, uh, and they tend to be quite mischievous as well, uh, going through campsites, um, destroying campsites, stealing things, um, as opposed to the yaoi or the quink and the doolagal. They'll sort of come in, they'll check things out, maybe tap and tap on the car, tap on the caravan, uh, press their hand on the tent, and feel your face as you were trying to sleep. Uh, but yeah, the the the, the Junjidi seem to just uh, like to play games instead. Yeah, and of course, our, our listeners, you're probably piecing it together, but uh, the Junjidi or the Brown Jack is a small uh, Sasquatch or Yowie-like thing that lives down there, three, four, or five feet tall, somewhere in that stretch, which has given a lot of support and credence now because of the discovery of not only Homo floresiensis down in the island of Flores, which is not that far away, um, but also um, Homo luzonensis, a new uh, human species that is also small. Um, very few fossils have been recovered from it, but, but again, it's another small three to four foot tall hairy hominoid. And even to this present day, there is at least one and possibly two forms of small relic hominoids um, on the island of Flores, where Homo floresiensis was discovered. Now, how they got to Australia, I don't know, probably the same way everything else did, I suppose. But um, reports like this are prevalent and still go on to this present day. Um, and my question to you, Gary, would be: Is and this? I, I really don't know this, and so it's a it's a good question for me. I think: Is there any way to tell between um, the, to differentiate between a brown jack or a gingeri and a juvenile yaoi? Okay, I can I can only answer that from basically a witness testimony. So, our teammate Shannon Guthrie. So a little a few months ago, he was on his way to work um, on the backside of the mountain that I live on, uh, about 4.30 in the morning um, on his uh, motorcycle, came around the corner, and there is a small bean on the side of the road, oh, sorry, in the middle of the road, and he actually had to correct his line on his bike that so he wouldn't hit this bean in the middle of the road. Uh, now, going from his description, this, this, this bean was very childlike in appearance. And then when we speak to other beings, uh, sorry, other witnesses who, who have had Junjidi uh, experiences, they tend to often give the, give the representation that the face of these smaller beings is very, is very old and weathered, um, like, basically like an, an elderly person in the face. Uh, so that's, that's really the closest we can get uh, to actually differentiating between a juvenile yaoi and a Junjidi. Um, so apart from that, it's, it's, it's the Junjidi getting around in their little groups and the Yowie, you know, getting around in pairs as such. Unfortunately, um, we haven't come across too many cases where we can actually distinguish between the two. 
Now, what, what about footprint casts? Like after a sighting of one of these um, that you think is either a brown jack or a yowie, maybe a juvenile yaddy, yowie, are there any um, differentiations uh, or marks, I guess, that one can tell the difference between those based on the footprints? Not that we've seen. We've only really come across yowie footprints, and we, 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 we have come across smaller childlike footprints, but they're often walking parallel with like a 15, 16, 17-inch footprint right beside them. So we've often taken that as a juvenile yowie walking with their parent. Uh, I, I personally don't even think I've, I've even heard of, heard of anyone even coming across Junjuti footprints, to be honest. Okay, yeah, we were showed some. We were shown some stuff when we were down there. Ray Dowry actually showed us. Um, Dowry showed us some stuff, but I couldn't tell the difference between human and that. I mean, they looked human to me, and I would think that um, if these things are um, uh, if these things are at all related to uh, um, Homo floresiensis or something like that, which I would I think is a, a reasonable guess that they might be. You know, don't know for sure, but a reasonable guess. Um, they would have some sort of flexibility in the mid part of their foot. And these that we saw simply did not, which is one of the confounding things about Australia, at least the things that I found um, to be confounding, is that, yeah, you do find barefoot footprints out in the brush, but the aboriginals, the, the indigenous people of Australia, never wear shoes um, in, unless they go into town because they don't want to get like civilization's filth on them. Um, but for the most part, they're, they're walking around barefoot out in the woods, which really, you know, makes things a little bit more difficult to, dis- to discern, I guess. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's exactly right. Like that, that's like in, in certain locations where we have found smaller type footprints, we have to think rationally. We obviously have to rule out what it could be before saying what it is. Which, in any kind of research, you know, regardless of what we find, including last night, you also have to rule out what it could be before saying what it is. Uh, not not everything is is Yowie Bigfoot related. Uh, and when, when we do, when we have found these smaller type footprints, we have, you know, we obviously get excited. Here's some footprints. Here's you know, three four track impressions in a line going in a particular direction. But then you got to think, okay, well, we've come here. We've noticed that there's four drive tracks coming here. We've noted that, noticed that people go to the creek a couple hundred metres down to, to go for a swim. So when we sort of come across these kind of things, we obviously have to take that into consideration that it might not be what we what we wanted, want it to be. It could just be people and kids walking as opposed to driving on these tracks to get to the creek. Um, and again, coming back to the terrain of Australia, it is very hard to actually get you know, castable footprints on top of that as well. And with the the hundreds of track impressions I've found where you can see toes, you can see heel, uh, I've only made four or five casts out of hundreds that I've found that were actually decently castable. Um, otherwise, you know, you can make the cast, but you're not going to see anything. Even, even with the, you know, trying to look for a uh, mid-tarsal break, you're just not going to see it. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, it can be very situational as well. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. I was perusing your footprint stuff over on the yowiehunters.com website. And that's a great website, by the way. Um, and some of these footprints, and there's even some handprints on there, which I think are pretty interesting. Um, some of these footprints, footprint finds are very compelling, very compelling and very reminiscent of the Sasquatch here in North America. But um, something I, I'm noticing here, um, even if they don't look human to me, and, and uh, there's some telltale field marks that you'd want to look to see if they're human. Some of them are reminiscent of human, but some of the ones are not, and they're, they tend 
towards being fairly small is what I, I've noticed. Yeah, there's some bigger ones on here. Don't get me wrong. There's 15, 16, even some 17-inch ones as far as I can tell. But some of these look quite small and quite inhuman at the same time. I'm, I'm actually very impressed with some of the the, the footprints um, that have been photographed and uh, the, some of the few have been that have been casted as well. So good job on that stuff. Uh, it also it appears that they, they do seem to walk with very little straddle on their footprints, which is another... Um, Hallmark of the North American Sasquatch as well. Uh, they're not not quite exactly tightrope walking, as I've mentioned before in this podcast. Uh, that is really overblown in the Bigfoot community. We really say they're an exact straight line through the snow. Well, it's probably an animal jumping. Then um, there's always a little bit of straddle, and you see just a t- just a smidge of straddle between these left and rights that you have the trackways photographed of. Um, and they're very interesting and very compelling. And um, looking at some of these footprints. I, a lot of them remind me of other footprints in the data set here from North America. Um, and it, it's really great that you guys put all that out so we can learn from what you guys are doing down there too. Some of those definitely look human. Yeah, some of them I think are probably human. But but there are, but there are many, actually, even some of the smaller ones that are in the human range that I don't think are. That really tiny one that was looks like that cast Dave uh, Ellis got up in Washington, that baby four-inch foot one. I'm looking at one right now. It says Nightcap National Park, I guess, and then Wayan Rec- Rec- uh, Conservation Area, New South Wales. That little baby print is adorable, first of all. It's just absolutely precious. And it's with a larger one. Um, not, but that even that larger one doesn't look very large. It might have been, what, nine inches, maybe 10 or something? It's hard to say. There's no scale item in it, which is also an American Bigfoot researcher uh, <laughs> trait of sometimes not putting scale items in the picture. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think also, you know, going back to their their stride as well. I I do think pe- people do often expect them ex- ex- expect these the, the, the straight line track impressions, you know, as as you were saying. But they, from what we find, it's it's very it's it's very uncommon that they'll actually do find that kind of thing. Even even if it is through mud um, or sand, um, it's it's never really tight tightrope uh, walking as as you call it. Um, and on top of that, well, I will say as well, when, when, when people find one track or two tracks, uh, print impressions, I should say, and then they say, well, that they simply just disappeared. What people often forget is that with, this, with the, 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 the size of these beings and the, the length of their stride, I find that people make the mistake of looking, looking say, half a metre to a metre in, in, in front of, 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 that, of that last foot impression. You know, as as opposed to um, looking, say, two to three metres ahead, um, they often say, you know, these these tracks just stopped. But if, if these people actually look look ahead, look for maybe a rock or a log or a softer piece of ground, um, you can usually pick up these track impressions as well and continue on following where this being was walking. Um, again, people often sort of look at the human stride and expect that, you know, a being that's going to be nine foot tall with a eighteen inch footprint is going to have a half half metre gait when they walk. Just once you can open people up to that idea of looking two to three times the distance that they normally would, then uh, you can usually uh, pick up the trackway and and continue continue to follow it. Well, I think that's an excellent point and something that a lot of people forget. I, I deal with a lot of people in the United States, of course, obviously, and they, they say, why was there only one footprint there, Cliff? You know why? Because it beamed in or it, it, it teleported here or whatever. It's like, no, no problem. Well, how come I didn't find any more footprints? And I, I you know, I'm kind of callous and an old jerk nowadays. So I said, because you're not that good of a tracker. And they say, oh, but I, but I found that one. I said, well, you don't, you just don't, you, you're, you might be used to tracking deer or bear or something like that. But as you're saying, did you look? 
you know, two to three meters, you know, six to nine feet in front of it? Probably not. Um, and even if you did, would you be able to find it? Because Sasquatch feet, like Yowie feet, are big and soft and padded and flexible and they're bending around stuff. And they just are not, they're not, they're not things that are, uh, that are easily recorded in the ground. As they, you might be able to find some trace of them, but it might not be what you're looking for because everybody's looking for that clear five-toed print that looks like a big old human print, and it's obvious. And because a big animal like that would probably leave one, not the case at all. No, it just does. It simply does not happen. And uh, you bring up a lot of good points there. Yeah, again, like going going back to the the hundreds of prints that I found, I've, I've only found personally five that I could cast out of hundreds. Um, again, going back to the foliage, going back to where where did they walk? Did they step on a rock? Did they step on a log? Like um, a, a a good little um, little 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 side story for you is that location where uh, we were screamed at, you know, th- those years ago. Going back to the lo- location one day, checking out another little area in in that same location come across it it looked like a party like there was like like 30 of 30 hours out of the party running around this one area there's prints everywhere uh but because we're on the bikes we're in leathers because this is an area that we that we go for a ride i obviously didn't, didn't have any casting uh material with me so i've gone out checking out all these, all these, these foot impressions all over the place and then i'll track them down in a, in a northern northerly direction uh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm looking for movement in the ground, broken sticks in the ground where they've, they've stepped and snapped a stick. Uh, general movement through the area, and as I come as I as I come to to, to one foot in, one movement impression, I found another, found another, and you can see where something has stepped on this side of a fallen log, fallen tree, and then where the next foot has stepped over the log on the other side of the ground. Kept going, and I come across. Like uh, one left-hand footprint, which is only a partial footprint, you can see the heel. Uh, you could see the big toe. That was about it. And But the terrain, it was not castable. Um, even if you did cast it, it would have just come out as a mess. And while I'm taking photo and video of this, I'm, I'm noting that, okay, here's his foot impression. I look, I look ahead. I can't see another foot impression. But what I did notice after that were two fallen trees, say two meters ahead, six feet ahead, uh, that had movement signs, movement wear over top of these fallen trees. So I've taken that as a sign as of, of this left-hand footprint. That's that, that was the last step. The next step went on top of these fallen trees. I ended up tracking, tracking um, these foot impressions for like another 100 meters or so. But the, the um, interesting thing to note about this particular situation is that when I was taking photo and video of this left-hand partial footprint, uh, the heel, the big toe, you can see the arch of the foot, uh, it measured at about 17, 18 inches. Off to my right through the, through, through the rainforest, I, I heard a bit of movement. I stopped, I turned to the right, I didn't see anything, didn't hear anything anymore. And then I continued on my way you know, across the logs, again, Track these, track these bangs another hundred meters till I come to a culvert, which went under the road, and from there I lost the uh, lost the track impressions. We decided to come back at night time. So when we come back at night time, I knew exactly where these trackways were. Um, so we, we we wanted to investigate this area a bit more a bit more at night. So I've taken a couple of mates in there. We, we've gone the exact same path that I took to to find all these track impressions, etc. 
And when we got to where this partial 17, 18-inch foot, foot impression was, it was gone. The, the, the ground was all scrubbed over. Uh, we, we, we couldn't find any track impressions at all in that particular pathway. But what we found interesting was that there were some tree limbs that had been broken off nearby trees and they'd been jammed in the ground in the middle of this trackway that was there, um, I'm assuming to, to, to look like naturally growing trees. Was the ground soft or was it dry when they shoved the branches in? It would have been soft enough to, to, to quite easily jam, jam, jam the, the, these branches in the ground. Um, we, we, you know, I, I took, that as, took that as the movement that I heard when I was photoing, photoing and videoing this, this partial, partial impression was I got busted finding their trackway. And then when, once we've left, they've then broken these, these limbs off trees, jammed them in the ground to cover up the trackway and also to make it look like they're naturally growing trees. Now, that, that was another commonality with where you got the, the thermal footage as well. Um, that what, there are other sticks shoved in the ground in that spot, you said, right? Correct, correct. So sometimes, some, some are twigs, some are you know, two, three inches thick. Now, before we go any further with this, I will say that Mother Nature does do some tricky things. So, so when, 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 we, when we've often spoken of these sticks, people say, well, we, we find sticks in the ground all the time that fall from trees. Yes, they do. They 100% do fall from trees. It's not 100% Yabi-related every time. Uh, but the big thing is when, when we do find a lot of these sticks, um, there's usually no tree canopy above. So the, the, this, this, this big stick in the ground appeared out of nowhere. Uh, they're in locations where bushwalkers don't go. There's, there's no trails, etc. And another thing we often find as well that we sort of lean more towards Yowie activity is that, uh, is that a lot of these sticks when they are jammed in the ground is that every every other limb on the stick has been snapped off. So there's there, there's no little extra little twigs and um, that kind of thing hanging off the, off these sticks. It's all everything's been stripped off. Uh, sometimes they'll they'll um, we, we we found sticks have been snapped. And when they snap them, they 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 they, they snap the meat of the meat of the stick, but they, they don't break the bark, and they actually twist and tie the bark around the top of the stick as well. That thermal site, that was like a firebreak road, right? It was off there, like the trail you guys took in there. Because didn't you? Then when you found that, was it an old road? I guess there was tons of sticks jammed. And I remember watching a video on that when you guys released the video. Yeah, so it's a, I mean, it's 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 a fire trail that that links up to a walking trail. Uh, you know, the, with the amount of times we've been there, we, we've only seen one other one other pair of people um, who were there um, at that particular location. Like we, we've we've been there during day and night. Uh, so I know bushwalkers and stuff will often put sticks in the ground to signify like basically trail markers. Uh, but again, a lot, a lot of these locations that we go to, there's, there's no, like we ourselves are making our way through the bush. Um, so we ourselves are creating that movement through the bush, um, you know, moving through the grass, snapping of limbs, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's uh, a fire trail, which goes on a walking trail, which is extremely rarely used. At, at the most, you, you, you might see the uh, National Parks Department uh, getting ready for summer, uh, coming and doing a bit of clearing. Uh, but that's really about it. Well, we were in Australia 
I think it was it was uh, the national. It was there. There had been some poll. Less than ten percent of the people in Australia even heard of a yeah. Like they they all think of the candy, but when we were down there, like because I always talked to like everyone, like you know, people the checkout girl at the store, like a waiter, waitress, people at the gas station. I I always go. You got any stories? You know anything weird? And people down there, I'd say like, well, what about the yaoi? Any yaoi stories? They're like, the candy bar. I'm like, no, like the Bigfoot. They they're like, no. I said, yeah. They they'd be like, like a yeti. I'd say, yeah. You guys have something like that here? They they'd be like, no. And I'd be like, yeah. There's tons of reports that they had no clue. It was like, you guys were way be, like uh, it was like America probably like in 1940s. It seemed like. Yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, it it is very much like that here. It's it's sort of been put back as like Aboriginal folklore. Uh, it's not really pushed in the public eye very, very much, if, if, if at all. Like, I, you know, the last couple of years, it, it's, it's getting better. Um, I mean, even though, like, with, with the amount of people that, that that come forth to us, you know, being uh, we were politicians, police, military, um, medical doctors, scientific doctors, um, scientists, um, we have witness accounts from all all walks of life. Um, so the word is out there, but I think just the the, the general population. It's it's almost like they 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 they're willf, willfully ignorant to the situation. Um, even if a friend of a friend might tell them a story about when they were camping or something like that, and they'll just pass it off as you know, you know, drinking too much or whatever. Uh, but again, you know, the last couple of years it has gotten a lot better. Um, we just got to hope, you know, just keep pushing forward and uh, try and really get it out there. Um, and, you know, the the, the the last sighting we had that uh, we had come in was last friday and that was from a lady uh going to work and she sort saw, of saw, saw this being big massive black one take off on the side of the road uh she she put it on a local a local uh facebook group as as an anonymous post she copped a lot of positive feedback uh but she also copped a lot of negative feedback and when i say she it's because we found out um it is a lady um that lives in a particular area um, otherwise, on, on the Facebook group, she again she posted as as an anonymous poster. Uh, but we we are starting to see comments and that kind of thing take more of a positive turn as opposed to a negative turn. Well, since you are looking for more reports, uh, we do have a, a a really nice listenership down in Australia. Actually, a lot of people down there listen to us. We really do appreciate it. I, I very often say Australia is one of the few places I'd like to go back to. That we went to in uh, Finding Bigfoot. It was a lovely area, lovely people, lovely landscape, everything. And yeah, we are just outside of town. So anyway, a lot of people uh, are fans of us down there, and they listen. So um, where if if one of our fans has run into one of these things or has information that might be of interest to you, Gary. Where can they get a hold of you? What's the best way to share their information with you? Yeah, for sure. They can uh, jump on on the internet and uh, go to yowiehunters.com. Uh, alternatively, alternatively, they can go to Facebook and go to Australian Yowie Research Official. Uh, make sure you put in the official there because there, 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 there is another group that is um, a similar name. Um, nothing to do with us, um, but yes, yeah, so make sure you put in official should come up. Uh, but otherwise, if you go to the website, yowiehunters.com, you'll find all the information that you can find there. There's also a link button to the YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, check us out. Um, we are active. We are, we are out there uh, doing the best we can to further this, further this research in a positive manner. 
and doing a great job doing it as well. Uh, and fantastic results so far. Um, a couple, uh, as you say, uh, not life-changing um, you know, uh, thermal imaging hits is better than most people get, plus that really solid one that you, you guys got. It's a really interesting, fantastic-looking footage of two Yowies not that far away from the thermal imaging camera. It's, it's just jaw-dropping, really. Um, maybe not to most people, but Bobo and I have been uh, poking around a thermos for a, like a decade or more, and um, and yeah, yeah. So it 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 is jaw dropping if you have uh, experience with therms in the field. Excellent job, fantastic. I look forward to uh, the next piece of thermal imaging that you guys are going to get and share with us. So really appreciate that. Well, cool, Gary. I'm sure you guys are going to get more footage. It seems likely, and uh, you got to come back and tell us and give us the news when you do. For sure, mate. Definitely, we lots lots more stories to talk about. Yeah, thank you very much for spending the time you spent with us. We really do appreciate it, and um, I really, I just speaking for myself, I really appreciate the the effort and the time you guys are spending down there in Australia to try to get more information out. Um, so few people are doing it down there. Um, it, it, that's my that's my impression, at least. I don't know. Maybe you think that the woods are crawling with people, but for, from up here, it seems that uh, very few people are spending the time out in the bush, and it's really good to see you guys are doing it and getting results on top of it. So, thank you very much for sharing it with us. No, thank you, mate. I appreciate it very much. All right, tell Dean good day for us. <laughs> I will, but I'll um, I'll, I'll uh, tease him a bit and say that you didn't want to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can tell him that's why I wasn't on the call with him initially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one likes you, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks, Gary. All right, Gary. You take care, man. Cheers, guys. Have a good one. Bye. There you go, Bubs. I think there's a, a lot more thermal going to come from all over the world now. I mean... People are getting closer and closer. The, op- the thermals are getting better, cheaper. The Bluetooth capabilities, I mean, there's just so much more. I, I, I expect those guys to get more. Yeah, it's, it's a no-brainer, man. But the, the good information comes from those small pockets of areas, locations that people are actually out there doing it. There's a lot of, and you know, there's a lot of people out there who proclaim to be Bigfooters and whatever. But you know, people have jobs. They've got a life. They've got families. They've got other obligations. How much time can one really spend out in the woods? And uh, people like th- this team here from the Australian Australian Yowie Research Team, there, um, they they are the ones spending the time in the woods, and lo and behold, they're the ones getting results. So it, it kind of is what it takes, man. It just takes some effort by a group of people working together or an individual. Um, but spending time in the woods, you will get results eventually, especially if you're in a good area is what it seems to come down to. And it's good to know people are down there doing it. Yeah. God, I want to get back there so bad. I, I can't believe I have not been back because when we left Australia, like I was talking to the people down there, I'm like, you guys are going to see me back here. Any, any, I'm going to be back. I'm, we're going to do some Yahweh stuff and I haven't been back since. Well, all right, Bose, man. Great, great job tracking down of another fantastic guest, Gary Lynn there. You can reach him at, uh, um, of course, yowiehunters.com. Really great website, great group of researchers down there, and they're getting good results. You have to check out their thermal imaging, their, the thermal imaging footage. It's fantastic. It's really good. Yeah, and their auto reports, like I said, on YouTube, you got to check those out. They got the visuals with it. They got some great reports on there. Yeah, so good job, Bobes. Can't wait to see who you line up next. We got some good ones coming up, Cliff, so keep your pants on. I'll try to. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that's another week of Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. And we were joined this week by Gary Lynn from Yowie Hunters down in Australia. So thanks for listening. Hit like, hit share. And until next week, y'all keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. 
If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 